0: You're listening to Living the Dream, the podcast of the Hoo-Ha Group. You're here with Dave and John. We're just sitting in a bit of a noisy cafe on our lunch break. Hey, John, how are you?
1: We're really good. How are you?
0: Good, thank you. This should be the first part of a series we're doing, maybe one of three, on the elections in Queensland. Today we're going to be looking at elections, how they fit into capitalism more broadly, what's going on in Queensland and how we should even think about them. Should we even be bothered about the elections or is it just a vortex, a, as they used to say in France in 68, a trap for assholes? So, as listeners would be aware, there is an election called the State Election in Queensland, which will be, John, on... 31st of January. 31st of January. And I think, in many ways, um, one of the reasons... Why we want, why do we want to do this radio show?
1: Well, I was thinking about this before. I think, like, we've been doing this blog for a few years now. Probably about, I think the first post actually related to the victory of the LNP government. Yeah, the, thir-
0: the first post was about dealing with the limitations of the trade union response. Yeah, Where pretty much the social democratic opposition, or the post-social democratic opposition, so we're talking about the trade unions, the ALP, and then kind of the wider milieu, even including most of what you might call the left, are pretty much focused on an electoral politics which is about kicking out Campbell Newman. That's right. And that's what the first post was on. And I think you could scale that up federally as well.
1: Yeah, totally.
0: The, The dominant left understanding that's going on in Australia at the moment is... Problems that exist are because of bad conservative governments. Mm. Electoral strategy should be is the main thing that we should do. And we've got, in Queensland, the election coming up at the end of the month. Mm. We're not pollsters. How do you think it's going to go?
1: Look, I mean, as far as I can tell from reading, you know, like the standard... A B C commentaries and whatnot, I, it, it looks like we're gonna see the LNP returned with a significantly large, with a significantly smaller majority. Now the astonishing thing, I think one of the things for me here looking at this is that the ALP, as everyone says, has managed to become within striking distance of, of winning whilst doing effectively fuck all. Well, as yeah, yeah. can gather. Like, they haven't mobilised any protests, any movements. There's, no, there's been no real
0: exposure for anyone. Well, that's. I think that's another thing that we might try to deal with at some level too as well, is that um, there was a wave of struggle that originally yeah. emerged yeah. when Campbell Newman was elected, particularly with the uh, cuts to the public service and the defunding of the community sector. Yep. Yeah. But those, that wave of struggle was very quickly defeated. Yep, uh, you know, there was a couple of trade union mobilisations that largely went nowhere. Yep. Uh, John and I, we work in the same workplace. You know, we've had very little contact with our union, which is the public sector union, but pretty much when we did have contact with them, they were focused on the election. Yep. And this is, an, this is an election that the Labour Party might become, you know, increase their size. They yep. should, because they've got, what, what, seven or eight seats. Yep. Fuck yep. all. Yep. But they're still going to lose. Yep. So we have an entire kind of, lack of a better term, left project yep. aimed electoral and they're going to be defeated.
1: Something that's never going to happen. I mean, and there's so many, so just so much limitations on this, on this as, as a strategy. Like, I don't think we'll be able to see anything. That's all
0: right. But I, I, the thing I was thinking about is that there's a broader problem behind this, yeah. which is why is it that elections are accepted? Yep. as the definite and dominant mode of political activity, right? So if you think about the common sense understanding of politics in our yep. society, politics is the state, and yep. we are dealing with policy at the state. So if you think about politics in, in our dominant approach, yep. then what you'd be able to do is capturing state power. Yep. This mixes with another idea that elections um, are the primary way that democracy as in a rule of the people are expressed that's the common sense view and yeah. there's a small amount of people who are outside that view very honourable position that anarchists have yeah. which is uh, hostility to the state in general yeah. and then while Marxists uh, theoretically see the state as a class vehicle yeah. most left groups most socialist groups still focus all their critique What do we think of that starting point? You know, how should we understand elections and what importance do they have or do they not have for people who want to have a politics, that is, to overcome capitalism?
1: I mean, just on that topic of what the left, those far-left groups think about politics, is that, you know, it is so limited because they view... Elections is like one of the like when I, I was in um, a, a Trotskyist group for, for some time, and they, we basically saw elections as the time when the class looks to politics, and uh, the class doesn't look to politics very often in any other context. I think that's really limited because it limits your view of politics. Purely, as you say, electoralism, mm-hmm. rather than looking at it in the workplace or in the street, really, mm-hmm. and like the fact that and these, so they run like, you know, Socialist Alliance, whatever runs in 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 elections specifically, is an like, elect- and they use electoralist vehicles, and I mean. I just I, I see that as incredibly limited, but it's not like we're in a situation like the Greeks are in at the moment and Syriza or anything, where we're looking at significant groups moving to the left in an electoral sphere.
0: There's no social movements to support that. Uh, I, I think you're touching on something that's also more confusing, because the point I want to get to yeah. is, you know, how do we... Like, our starting point should be, how do we relate to... Now, we're capitalists who we want to overcome capitalist social relationships in total and that includes the abolition of the state yeah, but honestly, none of us know what a movement that could do that looks like or yeah, what it yeah. would create. That's so right. that, That's true, yeah. right? We don't yeah. know what the politics we want would actually look like. No. That said, that still has to be our, our rough starting point to try yeah. to then evaluate different yeah. forms of political yeah. engagement. Yeah. So I think very quickly what, what is we need to touch on which isn't talked about is what is the role of the state you know because essentially when we're talking about elections we're talking about governments which will be the bodies that largely steer to a greater or smaller extent um the the powers and decisions that the the state makes so this very simply i think in a capitalist society the dominant activity is the valorization of value you know you know the the taking of i hope We'll have to listen over this to see if there's too much background noise. But uh, see, you know, where you have a certain amount of of value is taken, is invested, made commodities, sold, so on. What the state effectively does is reproduce the conditions of reproduction of capitalism on a whole. So, you know, it makes sure that the society is trained, policed, smooth, well-functioning, ideologically cohesive. And I think that's the approach to come from. In that sense, then, what politics really is about, as previously established, is nothing more than different right or left factions of partisans for capital mm. that wish to steer capital in various different directions. Yeah. Now, at certain times in capital's history, there are very real arguments about yeah. those directions. Yeah. But since the late 70s, there's been a complete convergence between the post-Social Democratic right you know, and, and the right mm. towards a... a one road that we used to call, maybe people still call, neoliberalism, right? Yeah. No wonder a great deal of people in society go, well, that's fucking ridiculous, you know? Not because they've got a more radical position, but because yeah. politics has just collapsed on this managerial steering, right? yep. you know? And other politics that we might be more interested in Perhaps only emerge at a distance to the state so I'm thinking of the work, work of people like Elaine Badiou here where he says you know emancipatory, emancipatory politics only emerges from distant from the state they emerge out of the very real conflicts that emerge in our lives yeah. you know and you know, thinking on that could be other wages or things going on in your community or the border or the materiality of our life is where the real antagonism to capitalism is that's where something can emerge. Um, he would even go as far to say that it has its own timetable. So part of what's problem, problematic about elections is they seem to impose on our timetable. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we're even right now, we're sucked into the gravity yeah. of, yeah. of very, the elections, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know, that, that's, that's something that, that's happening. Yeah. But I think it's worth us understanding because at some level, who wins does matter, yeah. right? Because... If we can say there are different factions for capital, you know, whether they are the, the, the established right, the LNP, the post-social democratic left, the ALP, you know, another faction of the post-social democratic left, the Greens or populists, right, they're going to steer the state in different ways and that's going to have different impacts on people's lives. So I think we need to attempt to understand it and understand what's going on, not though in a way that we imagine that something good will come from it. And yeah. maybe in the next episode, we should really talk about kind of the new political actors that have emerged. Yeah. And I would think, okay, the Greens are an old political actor, but Jonathan Sree's yeah. candidacy in, in South Brisbane, Is has yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. is really
0: interesting because he's um, probably the most grassroots activist Greens candidate for a really long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the PUP, right? Because this right. is another populist force. Yeah. So we should think about uh, yeah. those kind of meanings. And also because I think if you look around, uh, March in March are holding a rally before the elections. Yes. There's a lot of people who we want to kind of engage in a conversation with mm-hmm. who are looking to the elections yes. as a vehicle for hope, right? Yes. And I, I guess the yes. thing that I want to pull out, and, you know, we'll play a song in a moment and we'll talk yes. about it more. A, from a big-picture yes. um, approach, this is not this isn't, this is wrong, right? Yes. Because you're not understanding the, the role that uh, the state plays in the reproduction of capital. But B, it's very unlikely that the LNP are going to lose. Yeah. And in fact, what we can expect, and what the LNP have actually said, is that, you know, they're treating this election, this state election, as basically a referendum on their next range of policies. Yep. So when they win this election, they will then, you know, feel emboldened to carry out the next, you know, range of what they're planning to do. And we'll talk about that. It's a stronger choices package. Yeah. Um now, if you're in the kind of broad post-Social Democratic left that think elections are it, yeah. and you're setting up to lose, you're already going to be demobilised mm. before the next range of attacks goes through. And then, yeah. the, I'll stop in a moment, but there's just a couple more things I want to, I want to get out, John, if that's all right. Yeah,
1: yeah, um, fine.
0: So, you know, the, the trade unions say have been completely aimed on this election, but they've also yeah. started a number of different kind of um, vehicles around particular issues. So, not for sale... Yep. There is a group that started around opposing the effective privatisation, the government calls it leases, but privatisation of power assets. Entirely electorally aimed, right? Yep. Yep. Um, that group's been going for years now. Never organise major participatory public meetings. Stand up for Queensland is the same. If you're a union member or vaguely involved in any element of the left, your email box is full of coming out. Get ready, come out and, and vote. What happens when the LNP wins, right, when your strategy for the last three years is win this election, which effectively means, even if they don't say vote for the LNP, it means vote for the LNP, you know, what is your strategy after that? But maybe we should pull back, play a song, and talk about what's going on in Queensland. maybe try to get to grips with what the actual nature of the Newman LNP government is. Now, if you are on Facebook and you're a person of the left, for lack of a better term, the main comparison that you have is that Newman is Jobiocca-Peterson born again. Now, John, you're a historian. Do you want to tell us a little bit about how Jobiocca-Peterson functions in the imagination of the Queensland West?
1: Thanks, Dave. Look, I I'm, in. oh, I'm interested in this, not just as a historian, but as someone engaged in left-wing politics, and I think that having watched the debate, having watched the movement particularly, um, where the Queen's Own Civil Liberties Network, I believe that's what they're called, um, they definitely they would put up posts like, um, you know, here we, here, we, here we Joe again, yeah. a lovely catchphrase, but I don't know if it really bears, bears a lot out in reality because what we're looking at is, is that we've got the, the Bjorka-Peterson government was very much different, I think, to the Camblinian government. Bjorka-Peterson was about basically a sort of nationalist populism that relied heavily on the rural sector, and also on develop, a very developmentalist approach to politics, which relied on a mining boom and a concurrent tourist boom sort of picked up where that mining boom left off. And the way that the... So that's just, I guess, briefly, I think, how the, the use of government functions. So it's based very much on rural voters very conservative, it relies on the gerrymander, it was called the gerrymander to stay in power. Basically, that means that a vote in the rural electorates is worth two or three of what those in Brisbane.
0: So, it's the way that the yeah. electorates are set up. That's
1: right, it's how the electorates are set up. So, um, so that was how they we were able to maintain power for so long, despite massive opposition in Brisbane, particularly to his rule. Um, now, I mean, just the way that the left talks about. Bjorki-Peterson today, it's almost like there's a concurrency between Newman and Bjorki-Peterson. And I just don't think we can see that in the way that they rule. For one thing, Bjorki-Peterson had an awful amount of popularity, which Newman just doesn't seem to have. He also, I think that Bjorki-Peterson also had a particular kind of, he was better at using populist populism and demonising the left. I think he's a lot better at doing that than, than Newman is.
0: But and also, as well, think, we're talking about yeah. a time when there was actually a real left. That's right,
1: yeah. We're talking about a time when there was, you know, massive struggles. We're talking about the, uni- the University of Queensland, massive struggles.
0: See, this is part of the idiocy of the commentary that focuses on the Vlad Laws, which we'll talk about more yeah, later. definitely, um, yeah. Where it says, look, this, these laws are being brought in not to break bikey gangs, but to break activist groups. Mm. They don't need the laws to break the activist mm. groups. You know, that there's not, no. not an aggressive, functioning, mm. assertive social movement mm. in Queensland. Yeah. You don't need the laws to repress it, yeah. you know? it is. This is, well, as opposed to yeah. Bjorka-Peterson, you know, yeah. actually had to confront sizable trade unions, yeah. sizable anti-capitalist left, an indigenous movement, yeah. very aggressive green struggles. Yep. You know, and yep. my understanding was still operating largely in a Keynesian economic framework.
1: Yeah, well, very you know, developmentalist, like similar to like a lot of third world developmentalism. A lot of the, the economies of Argentina, for instance, are often compared to the way that Bjorka-Peterson ruled in
0: a kind of consensual... Keynesianism. Yeah, yeah. So so Catter's kind of mm. politics are far more yeah. uh, Bjork oh, Peterson oh, than Newman. It's really yeah. interesting that when um, Palmer was elected and gave his maiden speech mm. federally, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, the, the reaction of the political class in Australia was to write him as a madman. But it was pretty much the seventies Keynesianism right, you know, state-sponsored intervention to save the economy, that was yeah. the dominant argument he was running by, yeah. that, that's, you know as much as we think about um, Jock peterson as a, as a right-winger, he's mm. still coming from a period of painting consensus where, right. like, my understanding of um, of the current LNP government is totally different, yeah. you know and it can't be reduced to yeah. those levels
1: Definitely, I think just finally on this the, the way that the left imagine Jocko-Peterson is important here because um, we um, like, there's this false memory of what I would like to call, it, like a kind of zombie version of the Björge-Peterson struggle, which sees the Left as being central to Björge-Peterson's demise. Now, the Left led some very valiant and important struggles, particularly looking at, you know, everything from the Springboks to, you know, the 1982 indigenous marches around the Commonwealth Games and the strike, but in the end, these were all defeated or curtailed or beaten out. What was really significant in bringing Bjorka-Peterson down was Bjorka-Peterson's own talk-off. And, you know, um, basically the Joe PM campaign did a lot more to break Joe than the left did. So trying, I think, the left, about, like attempting to remember and reflect back on Bjorka-Peterson in this kind of rosy, rose-tinted way, I just don't think is useful for actually imagining what a... Decent and real response to Campbell Newman
0: is going to be. I think where the other thread that I want to take up with this is that the you know imagining Campbell Newman as Joe Born Again
2: mm.
0: is part of this analysis which sees the problem as bad people and bad ideas, right? right. And uh, and where this has come out the most has been around the politics of debt, mm. because I think if we were really to understand what the Newman government is about, it is about concretely attempting to deal with actual real material crises that face the reproduction of capital. So it's not about, and I really want to ram this point home. it's not about a series of bad ideas and bad people. Mm. It's actually in this historic moment, the state as the prime tool to ensure capital reproduction Mm. faces two problems, and these are problems caused globally. Right? Yep. one problem is and the, the problems that have been accumulating for the last 20 or 30 years mm. right? so one problem is how does the state fund its tasks right, without having a negative impact on capital accumulation on the whole So the state is essential for capital accumulation, Mm. but it has to be funded largely through taxation or through borrowing. How can it do that in a way that doesn't increase the size of taxation that capital flees or is dwarfed, mixed with the contradictory task of how does it stimulate demand post-financial crisis, right? So just to go over this, as people would know, when the Newman government was elected, they initiated uh, the Queensland Commission of Audit now, the Queensland Commission of Audit certainly... What did it do? It basically looked at the state's books and said, there's too much debt, you have to cut spending, privatise social services, sell assets, yep. right? Now, part of the criticism that's focused on the Queensland Commission of Audit has been that it um, overestimated the debt, certainly true, and that it presented a false reason for the debt. So if you read the Commission of Audit, it says, well, actually, you know, um, the reason the debt was caused was because of lack of government discipline. So that's the right wing's version of bad people and bad ideas. You know, mismanagement of labour governments caused the debt. That's wrong. I was involved in a thing called the workers' audit, and we looked at um, the, basically the budgets for the last couple of years, and what did we discover? Well, basically, expenditure had increased, debt had increased, but not at the levels um, that the Queensland Commission of Audit had exaggerated, but certainly had. And it had done this for a number of different reasons, you know, largely because of the financial crisis revenue dropped, right? So states get money from the federal government. They also get money from house sales, car sales. They had dropped. Then the state had also um, fun- it had been planning to fund a lot of its, its expenditure, such as its liabilities on government employees super, through speculation financial markets, expecting a 7% return. That had dropped. So that was very a reality. Um, If you look at some of the stuff that's been coming out, I just noticed this today in the government's Stronger Choices document, they also make the point that a lot of government expenditure on assets, on roads and the like, weren't funded by revenue, but were funded by borrowing. And that is historically consistent with what's gone on in the global north since the 80s. So uh, I keep on forgetting if his name's Wolfgang or Wilhelm Streck. Uh, uh, Either way, his last name's Streck. He's a German political economist. Now, he's done comparisons of nations of the global north, and pretty much since the early 80s on, taxation has decreased and uh, borrowing has increased. That's how states in the north have attempted to deal with funding themselves. This ties in really interestingly to the work of what a a Greek communist group, TPTG, called the crisis of reproduction. So they basically understand the last 30 years of capital since the crisis of the 70s, struggling to say, how can we afford to actually reproduce ourselves, particularly afford the schools, wages, roads, hospitals, everything that you need for an advanced capitalist economy? How can we afford to actually do that? And one of the reasons things have gone is to go towards financial markets to increase their their yeah, expenditure. Yeah. So, you know, Australia's a bit different. We had a mining boom that allowed periods of surpluses, but yeah. federally as well, you know, increased tax cuts to, to capital, um, increased reliance on borrowing. That's a general tendency. That is real, mm. right? That, that is a, yeah. a structural reality of what's happened. Now, um, now sorry, the, the,
1: way that, the way that the left seem to imagine a lot of these cuts and everything is through the prism of ideology. What you're going to bring up, I guess, now is about the bad ideas of bad people, but They imagine that these cuts are not the result of some sort of necessary expenditure to keep capital accumulation going, but they see that purely as, you know, these people... Living out their like political fantasies from university, basically. yeah, totally. When they get to live out, you know, whatever high-minded Keynesian is not Keynesian, sorry, Hayekian Hayekian dream yeah. yeah. that you know dreamscape, you know. So that's completely... I think.
0: Yeah. yeah so certainly, certainly, political actors have ideology, right? Yeah, like yeah. you know, that that's without a doubt, political actors have ideology. But it's entirely different to say ideology is the reason. Yeah. You know, and in fact, when you read the documents, the documents coming out from the political right, mm. often I think their kind of Hayekian language mm. is a smokescreen for what they're actually doing. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, um, we'll get to this... Well, we'll jump to it now, right? The yeah. other part yeah. of it is, is post-mining boom, because the mining boom's over, the global yeah. economy's yeah. looking yeah. pretty yep. shaky, yep. right? Um, the price of resources dug out again is dropping. Yep. The crisis that Australia really has is where's the next level of substantial demand to come Correct. from? So, what's been developed is a federal strategy, and this was uh, put into, put, PEN to put a paper on this at uh, a recent um, uh, CHOGM, uh, not meeting, COAG meeting, so yeah. Council of Australian Governments, yeah. where states would uh, privatise resort assets, mm. and then they would use those funds for infrastructure construction, yep. and the federal government would give them extra cash. As a sweetener for this, and that cash would be raised from both cutting expenditure and some on some levels, to um, and also from the privatisation of Medibank and other forms of money. So this is the federal strategy, right? It's a strategy that has run aground. You know, it's not kind of really working at the moment. That's one of the reasons that the state government has had to step back from privatisation to leases and yeah. is engaged in this Stronger Choices document. So you know, yeah. even if when they win the election. They attempt these privatisations. The asset recycling mechanism, which the federal government's meant to be introducing, which is the extra cash, hasn't been passed yet. So there's all these internal malfunctions going on in the state. But the other point I wanted to go back to touch on before is the kind of ideological angle. says, well, look, there's nothing particularly wrong with debt. Now, that is true. There's nothing particularly wrong with debt in an abstract context. But we're in a global situation where. All debtors must be good debtors. Does that make sense? You know, sovereign yeah. debt yeah. is yeah. such a problem for all states mm. because of the bailout of the financial crisis, because of the drop in revenue, yeah. and the power of um, of rating agencies is so strong, yeah. right? That this is something that this forces states act a particular way. And it's got to yeah. be very careful about this kind of line because I think there's a really dangerous um, finance bad product, productive capital good, right? Yeah. Yeah. But And also, you know, there's lots of dangerous shit about national sovereignty out there that I don't really want to be... I think we're going to be really worried about. But in a very real way, um, states like Queensland are subordinate in certain levels to rating agencies. You know, rating agencies look at debt, assess it, and that affects how much you can borrow. That shapes policy. These are material political forces. And whilst we still think about Newman's just the problem, we're not actually even thinking about what it would mean to really challenge globally produced situations. So so to kind of force the point, you know, if it's not bad idea, if it's not bad people and not bad ideas, it's the impact of the global crisis of capital playing out here. And, you know, the Labor Party one or the Labor Party one with Greens, you know, so the left fantasy, they would still face this problem, right? They would still face the problem of how can the state fund itself? How can demand be stimulated, right? And anyone who's in the framework of trying to think of, capitalism with a human face you know, mm. yep. has to face this problem yep. you know, for those of us that want to get rid of the whole thing, mm. that's not our problem you know, no, we're not, no. but it, we, we want to understand mm. uh, what effectively is going on, so the stronger choices document, which it basically says that what the state government wants to do is sell basically power and I think it's also, well lease power and maybe also a port as well and, and the then, that's import. important. Yep. Then, then they plan to take that money to pay off some element of debt, mm-hmm. uh, to invest in infrastructure, mm-hmm. and also, interestingly, subsidise the people who will buy the leases of the power companies. Mm. Right? They'll pay for all the solar rebate. Yeah. So that's their dominant strategy. And you know, um,
1: isn't that just like a fantastic joke on the neo- on neoliberalism? Though you know this idea, you know, that they have kind of a neoliberal government for privatised assets, and then use the money that they gain from privatising it to prop up these companies actually who are going to buy it. Like yeah, There's nothing Hayekian about, about it, right? No, you know? no, this is like, it's just Keynes reverse Keynesian.
0: Well, it, I, think, I think the other thing that's, you know, people like Streck talk about privatised Keynesianism, yeah. and what they mean is your credit card, my credit card, you know, yeah, the, yeah. Uh, effective aggregate effective demand is increased by individual debt, but state debt yeah. does the same yeah, thing too. Correct. Uh, the other point to make as well around Slightly tang- tangential is that the state government has been running on this idea that they're heading towards surplus, yeah. right? and one of the, they're doing is calculating that in 2015, 2016, the Queensland economy will grow by six percent. Yeah. Now, look in the budget, they don't give the numbers of where these figures come from. It's basically based on the idea that um, LNG gas exports will increase by 22 percent. Right, so there'll be this huge growth in gas exports. That's unlikely, right? Apparently I think likely. that figure's bullshit. Yep. And I think even more likely what we're looking at is a continuing collapse globally of resource prices mm. and possibly really bad um, news from China, news from India in the next coming years. So the economic outlook is going to be even worse. Yep. This means, I think, for capital, the problems of debt and demand spending more and spending less simultaneously are not going to go away. And anyone who's aimed at an electoral project can't escape this. Mm. You know, I think the only way I can see out of it, and we don't know what this looks like, you know, is an emancipatory politics of us, of the class, Mm. that is about asserting our needs within and against capital accumulation. Um, And I don't think we can do that while we're focused on voting out the LNP. Definitely not,
1: definitely not. I mean, it's, as I was saying, it's it just gets us forced into this sort of into, into like this sheep pen of electoral politics where we can't really talk about what we, what we want to talk about. And I mean, for me, the most interesting thing about this, which we will talk about more in the later show, is, is the fact is the way that politics and society are so increasingly separated today. Anti politics shows this most clearly, I think. The way that PUP and other parties are so have been able to get, gather so much, I think, support. is is out of the inability of politics to really represent increasingly what ordinary people want. And I think that that's that's something that the left needs to face.
0: And and the the realisation that the political class are fuckwits, right? That's right, yeah. And we're not just talking about the politicians, we're talking about the media, we're talking about the commentariat, the bureaucrats. The The legion of left
1: students who want to join the Greens or or the Greens or Labour.
0: This this is a redundant, you know, the, the contempt... The kind of soft contempt, silent contempt, sometimes vocal contempt that large sections of the population feel is entirely warranted.
1: And this has always been there. We're not saying that there has never been, you know, Australia has always had a healthy disrespect for for, for politicians, but I think that there's something new in this as well. There's something which I think is international, just as international as the discussion we were having before about Mm -hmm. how about the crisis is there's a crisis of economics and a crisis of representation.
0: Okay, well we probably should wrap this up because we've got to get get back to our jobs. So, look, I'm going to give a quick summary. What are the takeaway points from episode one, right? Um, First point
1: is electoralism sucks very bad. We need to move beyond electoralism as a left project.
0: It's still very Trotsky's way of framing things, so what we need to do... I'll just uh, rib you a little bit about that, John. That's fine. Um, I think also it's well about understanding what the state is, right? Mm. Like, um, the the state is primarily a vehicle to the reproduction of capital. Politics on the level of of the state is different ways of directing reproduction capital mm-hmm. combined with um, all states face a crisis because of the global crisis of capital, mm-hmm. which is both new since yep. 2007. But if we follow TPTG, about 30 years old, yep. right? And we yep. can go into that in more detail. But that's that's a reality. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're in that orbit, you're mm-hmm. caught in that orbit. Yep. You know, yep. if your concerns are about you know lives live with dignity, mm-hmm. healthy biosphere, mm. you know, a kind of decent, yep. you know, joy, yep. love, a decent form of life, you can't find that political expression. No. Um, but still, we're, paying, we're doing three shows on it. Yep,
1: that's right, we are.
0: Okay, anything else? No, I'm good, I'm good to okay. go. Alright. Alright, uh, you've been listening to Live the, Living the Dream, the uh, podcast of the Hoo-Ha Group, that was our very quick lunchtime show, it's part one, uh, I think we're going to call it Stranger Choices, uh, Maybe something about bananas, elections, those kind of things in the example, in a series sort of Queensland of cliches. Queensland
1: cliche, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, we'll see
0: if we can find a Queensland cliché song to go out with.
1: I think uh. next time we'll be talking about anti politics, yeah. mm-hmm. and black laws, and civil liberties in general, so definitely see yes. you next time.
0: All right, brilliant. Thanks for listening. Uh, obviously, you can find us on our blog, thewordfromstrugglestreet.wordpress.com. If you're interested in more of the question of debt, I've got a piece, I think it's called Debt in the Banana Republic, which was published in the Zine Mutiny, and you can also find it on withsobersenses.wordpress.com. Uh, keep living the dream.
3: Time. You better think I'll lose my mind Cause I'm stranded on my own Stranded, far from home All right I'm riding on a midnight train But everybody took me the same But there'll be of and reflection I'm lost better a final direction And I'm stranded on my own Stranded, far from home Alright, right Stranded, I'm so far from home Stranded, yeah, I'm on my own Stranded, you gotta leave me alone Cause I'm stranded on my own Stranded Far from home Come on Does not man run at you Made the man saying I can't do You lost your mind Stuck in the world Your honey such a stupid girl Now I'm stranded On my own Stranded Far from home Come on I'm on my own, stranded, yeah, I'm on my own, stranded, you gotta leave me alone, cause I'm stranded, on my own, stranded, far from. Home. Stranded. yeah, I'm on my own, it you got to leave me alone, come on, stranded, I'm so far from home, stranded, yeah, I'm on my own, it, you got to leave me alone, i I'm stranded, on my own, it